This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast uh, this week. I'm hosting, James. Uh, I'm joined by Kevin and Natalie. And we're going to go over the Crystal Palace win at the weekend. And obviously look forward to Liverpool away. Um, so, a, 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 I was going to say another home win, but a first home win of the season. Um, I think after last season, um, how we did at home, it was key that we made sure that we didn't let it go on too long, that we uh, didn't get three points at home. Uh, but it's a massive contrast, obviously, to the West Brom game. I felt the West Brom game we dominated and they were fortunate to come away with three points. Um, but this weekend it was us who uh, maybe stole the show. Um, I think we started well, first 10 minutes we, we seemed really bright and obviously scored a goal. Um, but after that I think it was all Crystal Palace and uh, obviously their failure to convert proved um, fatal for, for Frank De Boer as he uh, got sacked this week. Um, Kevin, just your quick thoughts on, on what you thought of the game. Yeah, before the match, I, I told my mum we were going to win 1-0 with a, a Chris Wood goal. When he scored in the third minute, she turned to me and she says, that's it, your prediction's done, you can go home now. And I really wish I'd taken that advice seriously because the rest of the match was not just bad to watch, but terrifying to watch. I think the, the first 10 minutes actually were phenomenal. I think it was a mixture of us playing well, but mostly. I've, I, I don't think I've seen a back line as nervous and as lacking in belief and confidence as Crystal Palaces were in that in that last te- in that first ten minutes, but after that they responded they responded really well. I thought they played much better than us throughout the whole match. Having said that, we defended very very well, and, and I think between them, Tom Heaton uh, and Nick Pope made one save between I think in the whole match. And Bromers yourself, what did you uh, make of the game as a whole? Yeah, pretty similar to Kevin. To be honest, I was ecstatic after three minutes, and I really I actually thought we looked really bright in the first ten minutes, and then. I literally just sat and watched a Palace attack for 80 minutes. I think it was um, an unusually poor performance from us, I think. I didn't think we looked at the races at all. I thought we looked quite nervous in spells as well. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to discuss this as the podcast goes on. But we literally had to defend for our lives for 80 minutes. So it's, it's probably a good job that that defence was as good as it was because um, otherwise we would have... Uh, well, on any other day, I think Palace could... Could have easily won that game three, three or four one, couldn't they? It's uh, it's lucky for us that Chris uh, Chris Wood. It is Chris Wood, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, had a real, I had a moment then where I went, oh, what's his name? It's lucky for us that Chris, Chris Wood took that opportunity that he did in the opening three minutes of the game. Otherwise, um, we wouldn't have, have scored, I think, any other goal. We didn't look like creating anything else. So, yeah, a nervy game, not particularly enjoyable to watch. But actually, we've got to take huge positives from the character shown by the boys. I thought... Um, Two years ago, well, 2014 and, and 2009 teams lose that game 100%. Um, we're, st- we're showing the characteristics we displayed last season, but even more so. We are knowing how we grind games out. We are learning how to be disciplined. And when things don't exactly go our way, the- this team seems to still be strong-minded enough to get some results out there. So you've got to take the positives from that. I mean, it's worth adding as well, it was horrific conditions for football really at the turf. Um, a classic... East Lancashire winter's day uh, still coming within the summer. Um, so I think the key thing to talk about from the game was obviously we've had a lot of success early in the season playing four five one, um, but I think a lot of people felt maybe just a matter of time until Dash wanted to go back to his his old familiar four four two, and he did that on Sunday. Um, maybe partly enforced by obviously the the goal Wood scored at Wembley and wanting to fit him into the side, and obviously Jeff Hendrick missing out for injury. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you. Firstly, did you think moving back to four four two worked, or should we have been sticking with the four five one that we've had so much success with already this season? I agree with you that it was he. I think Dyche was very much influenced by Jeff Hendricks' unavailability and Chris Wood forcing his way into the team with with a, a fantastic debut at Spurs. I'm not sure that if if Hendricks available. I'm not sure we, we play 4-4-2 in that match. I, I, I don't think we do. I'm hoping we, we don't see that see that again at the weekend. I think we we didn't even attempt the passing game with a four-man midfield. We just reverted to last season's whack-it-up whack field uh, approach, particularly with two two big, big men up front. Um, so, uh, for me, it didn't work at all. It wasn't... It was... It was disappointing because we've, we've started playing a very different style of football this season and we've, we've really enjoyed that. Even against West Brom when we didn't get the result we, we wanted, we all came away feeling really, really positive and really encouraged by the football we played which it just didn't happen at all the weekend. We, we, we lacked a lot of composure, particularly in the second half, but I think that was down to frustration rather than anything else and I think no, it wasn't a success, but I do think that 4-5-1 remains our, our first choice approach for games this season. I think it's a, a very valid point that um, you know if we did go back to lumping the ball forward a bit, it could be because we did have two such strong forwards up front who um, you, you'd probably fancy to to beat defenders in a battle. Um, Brommers, do you do you recover or do you think it's something a bit different? You know, how did four four two go for you? Um, I certainly share his frustration in that it didn't seem to work. I think the most frustrating bit for me was just the lack of control that we had in midfield I think we were very lacking in any form of of um I guess any oh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm using I guess any strength in midfield I think Palace managed to run the show from midfield and, and with the exception of Jack Cook um I think we were pretty much invisible in that area of the field which is disappointing because I think as Kevin said we've gone from a 4-5-1 formation with an absolute dream midfield which we love um, to then go to a 4-4-2 with a, with a weaker 
midfield. I think we, I think we massively missed Jeff Hendrick. Actually, um, I, I just felt like we reverted back to some of the weaker performances of last season, where we seemed to be completely overrunning midfield. Um, James, I share your your th- thoughts on that. I, I am expecting that it was it was forced in some respects, in the sense that yes, he wanted to put Wood in there, but obviously we also were missing Hendrick. But um, I, I just, I, to be honest, I think it was. Deitch had enough of an opportunity to change it around as well. And I think I tweeted at half time that I felt that the half time change was absolutely to revert back to four five one. As much as I absolutely adore him, I thought Sam Vaux was pretty woeful. Um I didn't get an awful lot from him. And, and actually he did that that classic Vaux thing where he looked like he'd was he'd run three marathons after about seven minutes and he looked like he was done. Um I think Deitch had the opportunity at half time to see that it clearly wasn't working and we were being out mustered in midfield. He could keep Wood on and and leave him up front on his own. We already had the goal advantage so he, he you know the pressures then on on Palace to try and attack us and maybe bring um if he wanted to bring Arfield on again or bring Westwood on and just just turn to a 4-5-1 and just see if we can you know get a hold of that midfield and he didn't do um, which was a little bit disappointing for me as well I think I think Deitch sometimes can be a little bit of a stickler to his tactics and he's not prepared to change um when he has done that um thinking particularly Bournemouth last last year at home it's been really effective so it was it was a combination of things that, that I think frustrated me on Saturday you mentioned the, the the lack of strength in midfield, and that was the thing they had over us in the whole match. Really, was their aggression. They played a very aggressive style of football, not dirty style of football, but they were they closed us down at every opportunity. They were in our faces. It was, and for me, I thought the game was crying out for for Ashley Barnes and Scott Arfield. Obviously, Barnes came on towards the end, and I think he he had a very positive impact. He had a, a good shot at goal, and he he put their defenders under a lot more pressure than than Sam Vokes and Chris Wood did throughout the whole match. But for me, it was it was I, I was I was hoping to see Scott Arfield introduced. He was he spent a lot of time warming up on the side of the pitch, and I thought it was only a matter of time before before he came on. Because I think I think those are the two players in the squad, Arfield and Barnes, who are really have got that quality. They they are probably our most aggressive players. The ones who are going to put a lot more energy in, probably kick them a bit more, run around a lot, really make a nuisance of themselves, which is what Crystal Palace did. I really, think, I really thought we needed to to match that and play them at their own game a little bit more. Uh, we we could have grown into the game a little bit more in the second half. <laughs> this is a, a short contribution for me, but I was very disappointed to see Scott Arfield stay on the bench. Wow, <laughs> Kevin, well done. That's two weeks in a row I've praised him. I so know, I'm very my, impressed. That's his season's quarters gone now. <laughs> do, you, do you feel well, Kevin? <laughs> there is a lot going around, Bird. Maybe he's not feeling so well. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I was quite surprised actually to see Arfield not in the side. I thought um, you know he might have gone with similar to to Wembley, but it, it wasn't. He you know went back to the old favourite, and um, again, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure that. It was the right decision to make after such success with four five one. Um obviously it was Chris Wood's first start for us, um in the Premier League. His first goal for Burnley at Turf Moor. Um but I think that was really the high point for him. Um I think he, he looked to do a lot of work but he, he didn't really have much success in taking advantage of the palace backline and I think um hopefully he'll warm into the side a little bit and we'll see more from him. I mean Natalie, what did you think of his his first start? Did you think he he looked worth the money? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I, I'm not entirely sure that I share all of your concerns from that opening um, sentence there. I think I was quite impressed with him. I think the 
lack of opportunities that he had in the game were very much down to the lack of feed from midfield. One of the problems that you've got mm-hmm. in a side that is absolutely 100% trying to defend and block out a, a relentless Palace attack is that we don't necessarily have the ability to create much for ourselves. And it felt like all of the balls that were coming from midfield were almost clearance hoofs with the vague hope that maybe we might get lucky and somebody might you know, land on the end of it. There certainly wasn't any well thought out um, distribution. I think... I took a friend to the turf on Saturday for one of his, his first games. He's, he's, he's leaving to go to Australia, so he wanted to see turf more before he left. Um, and he's a he's a doesn't support Burnley, but he, he was sort of giving a, an outsider's um, view of the game. And one of the comments he made was that our distribution out of defence is quite... It's not particularly very slick. And I genuinely think that's one of the things that we're missing in not having Michael Keane. And I think we've forgotten how classy he was in distributing the ball out of defence you know his clearances weren't just hoof clearances they were deliberately targeted passes to midfield to create opportunities for the front men we don't have that anymore and that for me is what happened on Saturday I felt like um, all of our clearances from defence were just hoofed out which is fine you know sometimes when you're facing that relentless attack you have to do it now because of that the the effects of that is that midfield haven't got an awful lot to create for the front men so I I think I think Wood did all right I mean look at the goal he took it was absolutely superb to have the confidence and the ability to strike that ball first with his first touch and put it in the back of the net um that's an absolutely fantastic talent and I think we're going to see a lot more of that this season it was a phenomenal goal wasn't it to take it oh first time God. from that distance it was like like 40 yards out 35 40 yards out it's certainly certainly a very long way I think it's it's this is a massive cliche so I'm going to apologize in advance but to me that looked like a natural goal scorer because it was just pure instinct I think many strikers would have taken that down and maybe tried to close the space up a little bit more and place a shot or try to round the keeper. But he just did it straight first time. That is, it was pure instincts. I think we've run as well. Yeah, I thought it was a great finish, to be honest. Um, great assist by the uh, defender, but um, he, he took it really well. Very. I think it's. I think finish. it's. A, it's a shame that, that it, it did come from a defender because I think it, it makes it look less impressive because it was because there's such a focus on a mistake from a defender. Because that, that's all the you look at all the analysis of the goal, whether it's on the on the TV or in the papers or on social media, and all the talk is about the is about the mistake from the defender, uh, and there's there's not that focus on the how good a strike it was. So it's a little bit disappointing um, from from that respect. I don't think Woods quite got the credit he deserves. It was very good awareness. I think that's maybe the um, the, the best uh, compliment for him in terms of it being a defender's mistake he's, he's really on the ball and he's not sat on his heels and uh, obviously he's quick onto it and and that's what allows him to, to put such a good finish past the keeper um, obviously there was a, another real big talking point in the game Tom Heaton came out put, like collecting a, a routine ball for him but unfortunately he landed quite awkwardly and it, it appears he's dislocated his shoulder and um, it's a, one of those difficult injuries obviously he saw it quite a lot with Charlie Austin when he was at the club he um, He's obviously had major problems with dislocating his shoulder um, over the years. And it could be quite a while until we see Tom Heaton back in the Burnley goal. Um, obviously, he, he's been riding probably the you know the best spell of his career. He's getting in the England side. People are talking about him potentially uh, playing ahead of uh, Joe Hart. And that's even people who aren't Burnley fans. So people without Claret-tinted specs. Um, it's a real bad time, I think, for him both personally and us as a club to have him injured uh, it's a big ask for Nick Pope to 
to step up. Um, I thought he did really well uh, when he came on, particularly as you know we're under so much pressure from Palace. As we've already said, he made you know one or two really big saves. Um, Brommers, I mean, what, what do you think, Tom Heaton out for potentially three to four months, maybe even longer? Uh, what do you think it's going to mean for the team? It's going to have um, a serious impact on the team. I don't think there's any way that you can dilute that fact. And that's not being negative and that's not being sensationalist here. It's being realistic. Tom's our leader. He's our captain. He is a phenomenal keeper. But also he's responsible for really, really um, organising that defence. And I think what worries me more than anything is that we're already settling into a defence that's got a loss of Michael Keane. So we're having to get used to, well, the team are having to get used to having Tarkovsky at the back. And he's doing he's doing really great. You know, he's, fit, he's fitting in well and, you know, he's starting to form that partnership with Ben Mee. Um, but it's just not quite there yet and, and it's going to take some time to gel. To then lose Tom Heaton as well, you've effectively got two out of that back five change from the defence that we've had for the past two or three seasons that's been solid, continuous and has really um, helped to make us very good at defending and, and not concede a lot of goals. So that is a worry for me. Um, it's interesting actually looking at Tom's injury because one of my gripes this season so far has been that as well as the, the partnership between me and Tarkovsky is forming, one of the things they haven't quite nailed yet is the organisation and the spatial awareness between them. I've been very frustrated by them continually going for the same ball, crashing heads as they're both going for the same header and just having that lack of awareness as to who's supposed to be where. And I think um, Keane and Ben Mead got to the point in their partnership where they knew that very, very well. Um, and actually Tom's injury was so frustrating because that wasn't, it was um, a casualty of that. Ben Mead just went, shouldn't have been in the position that he was in. He went flying into Tom. He didn't realise Tom was right behind him. He didn't have the spatial awareness himself. And Tom just didn't have the space to be able to land properly without falling over Ben Mee and land landing on his shoulder. So it's an injury that really could have been avoided if they could have just worked a little bit more on just having that awareness between them and knowing where they are. So to then lose Tom, so then we're going to have Pope coming in and then so we've got two new players in a back five that's usually worked continually and very well together. For me, it's going to just cause that little... It's not confusion because they all are professionals and I know Dyche talks quite a lot about all his players being ready to come in and take the chance. But it's that familiarity and it's that team, that, that unit at the back that plays so well together. They almost read each other and they know where, they, where they're all supposed to be. They defend very well and there's that bank of four plus Heaton that's so so effective and has now been really disrupted so that for me is a real worry yeah as soon as he went down you could tell something wasn't quite right he wasn't moving his arm at all his face looked exactly the same as the kind of the uh, agonizing face emoji so yeah you could really tell it was it was something quite serious at that point it's a big shame it's a big concern but I think to to look at it from a, a positive side I think it's actually quite it's quite exciting I'm actually quite excited to see Nick Pope given an opportunity in the Premier League now. I think he's done very well in his Burnley career so far, albeit against much weaker opposition than than Liverpool at Anfield and all the other big big games he's going to be coming coming up in. But he's had a, I think he's had a very good career career progression. He's played very well over the weekend, and I think it's all it's always very exciting to see a new player come into the team, particularly one who has 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 waited for his chance and 
could potentially be a, a big part of our future for the next, you know, next five to ten years. Um, hopefully, um, I think it must be so difficult for a goalkeeper to come on from a bench. And I think he alluded to that himself. Uh, well, like, like you both said, I think he did remarkably well, particularly that save at the end, which I thought actually was was very Heaton esque. Uh, I think Dyche has talked a lot about Pope learning from from Heaton and from Rob, Paul Robinson last season. I think that really showed, uh, in that, particularly in that in that move. I think he looked, I think he looked very nervous for much of a match, which is probably probably to be expected coming off the bench and particularly in the Premier League as well. That first kick he had of a ball was absolutely abysmal. It was terrible, straight out for throwing in his own half. I think it was, but it, it grew into the game uh, very strongly. I think one concern for me, it links into what Natalie was talking about about the organisation, was that he was he was he was nowhere near as as vocal as Heaton. Heaton is always shouting his head off, and 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 Pope seemed a lot a lot quieter. I didn't see him shouting at his defenders as much as 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 Heaton did. And I think he there was, was a few occasions. I think he was trying to get the defence to push out, particularly in the second half, and. It, it just didn't happen. I think he didn't really have that that authority. Not. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't have the authority, but the defenders didn't listen to him or they didn't, they didn't respect him. But just Tom Heaton is he's so loud, he's so powerful, and he's so um, familiar to that back line. And when he shouts, get out, it, 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 that, that communication's already there, whereas Nick Pope, I don't think it was quite there yet. But that's probably to be expected. It's his first his first league appearance for us, and that will, that will really come. I think what was really encouraging for me is that every time he did touch the ball, whether it was a catch or a save... Every single defender grouped around him and giving giving him high fives and hugs and pats on the backs, which I thought was really I thought was really fantastic. I think we obviously picked up. He was a little bit nervous. It was a, a massive game for him and really wanted to give him that that encouragement. And I think it's a really good sign of a of a team spirit in the squad. So yeah, it's disappointing to lose Tommy here, but I'm actually really really looking forward to seeing how how Nick Port kicks on. And if he is up to the job, obviously. And until he's got this opportunity to show whether he's up to the job, it's, it's difficult to know if he, he he is a Premier League standard goalkeeper. But if he is, this is a fantastic chance to give him that that experience, so that when Tom Heaton it is time for Tom Heaton to move on, we've got Nick Nick Port ready to come in and um, and really take his place as a as a an experienced Premier League goalkeeper, and like I say, be maybe be a part of our our success for the next ten years or so. I feel it's a really a uh a massive moment in his career to be honest um, it, it's a great opportunity for him as you've said um, being thrown in right at the deep end in the Premier League uh, having to take over from a player like Tom Eaton um, it's going to probably make his career um, that you know whether he, he plays well or, or not uh, and it could also make our season so um, a lot of pressure on him but hopefully he can he can handle it and you know I'm sure Eaton will still be a miss you know no matter how good Pope does because he, he's, he's maybe not going to be able to step straight up to that mark and We've seen that elsewhere, obviously, with Michael Keane going. Other people have managed to step the game up, but it's a big boots to fill. Obviously, so Tom Heaton's injury, we've touched there that it could be um, several months before he's back, maybe four to five. Uh, we managed to get the opportunity to speak with Ben Dinnery from Physio Room uh, just to talk about Tom Heaton's injury, dislocated shoulders in general, uh, and find out a little bit more about that injury. In in simple terms, that us us laymen are going to understand what does a dislocated shoulder actually mean? What what has what has actually happened to him? So so what happens is the you know the the arm actually sits in quite a, a shallow joint, um, and it and it's held in um, you know by um, you know a number of sort of ligaments and 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 what have you. Now 
um, it's, 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 it's a ball joint. And, and when the arm becomes overextended, that ball joint just actually pops out of place. Um, and that's what the dislocation actually is. Um, so it's uh, it, it comes out of the joint, you know, and you often get the questions, um, you know, rugby players you, uh, are, are a good example where they see, you know, we'll just pop that back into place and they'll carry on playing. And, and yes, there are incidences you know where where that happens, and it it probably happens a lot more than it than it actually should. Um, you know, there's a range of complications that that come with that. So it's the you know it's the actual ball joint of the of the shoulder is is just popping out. Um, you know, the connective tissue that's holding it in the place uh, is is being damaged. It's being stretched, um, and it's it's not stable anymore. We're working on the assumption here that. Um, you know, Tom Heaton, um, likelihood is he, he will require surgery. You know, if it, if he was an outfield player and he and he didn't require surgery, you know, you could maybe talk in um, two, possibly four weeks, you know, back into the field of play. Um, but, you know, the, with the goalkeeper, it's, you know, the the arms are, it's their job. They're, they're constantly overextending. They're, they're prone to a lot of wear and tear. Um, so I would suggest that uh, the, he will be going under the knife, and like I say, typically you'd be looking at maybe eight to ten weeks. But with it being a goalkeeper, you can pretend, you know, you can maybe extend that, you know, somewhere between, um, you know, three to four months. If we look at cases in, in, in recent history, Peter Cech spent um, just a little over three months, and Tim Crew was out for um, just a little over four months. So you mentioned that. He, he... He's likely to have have surgery, but after the surgery, what's his rehabilitation likely to look like? What sort of things will he be be doing to be able to get from a stage where where he is now to be able to be in a stage where he's back and, and ready for selection? Well, I mean, rehab work can, can start fairly quickly. Um, you know, maybe uh, you know we're talking about maybe three or four days just um, you know after the the surgical interventions taking place. Um, and patients are, are often encouraged to remain sort of fairly, ac- uh, you know, fairly active. Um, but at this stage, there will be no sort of movements above the head, you know, so it'll be all kept um, uh, below, um, like the, the shoulder, and, and they'll be working it and, and just working it at, at strengthening the, the, the muscles and, and the ligaments and you know the connective tissues around that, and just getting some the range of movement back into the shoulder um, and that can be um, done a number of ways um, you know there may be some um, there'll be a lot of gym work involved with that and and maybe in just incorporating some of uh, some ball work you know then uh, the range of movement will be increased to, to ultimately to where they um, where Tom would will feel comfortable um, and, and, and happy to to go back in sort of gameplay scenarios Jack Cork obviously signed in the summer. So far this season, I think he's been sensational. He was the man of the match um, in the ground on uh, Sunday. Um, I thought a really good performance. It was maybe a difficult game for him. He's, he went to four four two, and he's another player that liked to four. People maybe previously thought he's, he's better in a five. He's better when he can sit back, um, but he showed he can he can do it whatever. And I think he's been the the clear standout uh, for us early this season. And 
you know, what a piece of business it's starting to look like, £8 million. It's one that maybe went a bit under the radar. I think Swansea fans didn't quite rate him as highly as they should have done. I think he does a lot of the small things very well that people don't necessarily take notice of. You know, he's not going to score you a lot of goals. He's not going to necessarily have a lot of assists. But a lot of the stuff he does, he does exceptionally well. And I thought he was really good on Sunday. Um, personally, for me, he's maybe been the only sign who's really had a go yet. But for me, he's signing the summer. Um, Kev, what do you think of Jack Cook's start to the season? Yeah, he's been, he's been outstanding. I think he's been he's slotted into the team really well. I don't know if that's just because he knows that the club a little bit. Obviously, the club has changed a lot since he was he was last he was last here. But he's, he he almost seems like he's never been. He almost he doesn't feel like a new signing. He just feels like another Burnley player. He feels like Jack Cork. So that's that's really good for me. I think. For me, he wasn't he wasn't my man of a match of the weekend. I think it was it was would have been one of the defenders. I think that purely because the whole the whole midfield struggled to control the game and the midfield was overrun and Cork was a one one quarter of that midfield. So for me, it was difficult to give him man of the match. Um, but yeah, he, he, he certainly played well. I think Stephen Stephen Defoe says that he really enjoys playing alongside Jack Cork. Um, and that he, I think he said that Cork brings out the best in him, and I think that partnership before this weekend, anyway, has been has been really a, a really big positive. I think they, they have played well together. They've both got a similarish style, but they're different enough that they complement each other really well. Uh, I think together they really in the first three games of the season they really worked well together, and they dictated our 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 game throughout the throughout the whole field from defence to to attack in, in those first three games of the season. I'm not sure that works in in the four four two, particularly when we're we're playing playing longer balls a lot of the time. I think they really need I think Defoe and Cork work really well and we've got someone a bit more industrial alongside them. So whether that is Jeff Hendrick or whether it's it's Scott Arfield. So yeah, he he's been outstanding. I'm really, 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 really positive about what he's going to bring to the team this season. For me, the weekend um, game against Crystal Palace wasn't his his best performance for Burnley. Having said that, he, he, he's, he's still he's still a fantastic player for us. I mean, it's a very important point you made there about him and Defoe playing together. They do have some similar skills, like both absolutely fabulous passes of the ball, both look really comfortable on the ball. Um, maybe Defoe's got a bit more flair to him, I think. Um, I think they've both got. Um, I think they've both got like a a calming influence to the game. I think they both like to. They can both slow the slow the game down in a weird way. And that whereas last season we and also at the weekend we were very keen to get the ball forward as quickly as possible. Both Defoe and Cork are quite happy to actually bring the ball down, look for the best ball. Might we don't have to get it forward as quickly as we can, but let's keep the ball do something really productive with it, which is a, a, a really quality what we, we've really lacked recently. I think they're really both very good as well, protecting the ball. Um, we've seen a few times that both of them maybe have been given the ball in difficult positions, not the best pass from a defender or from one of the wingers, but they've managed to buy themselves a bit of time and get out of trouble. Um, Bromers, what, what do you think about Jack Cork's season so far? Great signing. Good to have him back. Yeah, amazing. I agree with everything you've both said. He's, he's definitely been my signing of the season so far as well. Um, I I Slightly different take from what Kevin's was, actually. I It was my man of the match on Saturday. I thought he was outstanding. I was quite surprised when I got home and saw that Sky had given it to Tarkovsky. Um, not in that's no disrespect to Tarkovsky at all. I think he also had um, a good game. Um, I just felt that... 
I felt without Cook, we would have completely lost midfield. He was the only one who was just tracking back and trying to help the defence out, but also just trying to make something work up front as well. Um, it's just, it just seems to, I don't know, it seems to be effortless for him. Do you remember when, when Defoe first came in and there was, we just saw that added layer of talent from him. I think Cork's in a similar bracket. I think he's one of the most effective midfielders that we've ever had at Turf Moor. And I think he's just got, um, he's a proper Premier League player. I hate to use that expression because it sounds like there's some unattainable being that, you know, that they just play for other clubs. But we have bought a real experience in Jack Cork and we've bought some class and some talent. And I just think he was the one player who I think is just changing us from a newly promoted relegation struggler to may very well be an established Premier League side. Uh, yeah, I, I also hate the phrase he's a, a Premier League player, but I know what you mean. He, he's got that class that you need in this league. Um very he, he's not he's not flash, but he you know he gets the job done and he, he does the little things that people don't notice and for me he's just an all round great great midfielder. Um but as you mentioned there, it was James Tarkovsky on the day who got the man of the match from Sky. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was one of the better games for me I've seen this season. Obviously, I was critical early on. I thought in the first three games, he was maybe responsible or at least you know played a major part in all the goals he conceded. But he, he does seem to be growing into the role. And we've seen that in the past. I mean, we've talked about it earlier. Michael Keane leaving was a, a massive, massive impact on the side. And it... You're not going to get someone who can just step in and, and play like Michael Keane. But James Tarkovsky is warming into the role, I feel. Um, he still did make a, a mistake on Sunday. Obviously, early on, he, he got caught, I think, trying to walk the ball out like Keane was able to do and um, obviously got dispossessed and was maybe a little bit lucky to get away with it um, as it was a bit of a mad scramble from the whole defence to, to get the ball away. He, he, so he is playing well. He's warming into the role. Um, obviously, there's no other real option. We didn't sign another centre-back um, before the window closed. So really, for us, it is key um, that he, he gets stronger and stronger as the season goes on. Um, I'm sure a man of the match uh, from Sky is going to help him. It's you know, a little confidence boost. Makes him realise he's, he's on the right path. Um, Kevin, how do you think James Tarkovsky's you know, started out in the season? Do you think he was you know moving in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with you that he's, he's certainly growing into the side. And we, you, you talked about it then, but obviously Michael Keane is the obvious comparison. It took him a while to really get into our team. So there's no expectation that he's going to be the finished product on, on day one uh, in the Premier League. But yeah, I think he's certainly growing into the team. I think he's got better with every match. I think as a, as a defender, he was absolutely outstanding at the weekend. I think he tracked their, their attackers phenomenally well. He was, I think, he, was it a the most number of clearances anyone's made in the league this season. Um, and he he was on the end of everything. Like I said, uh, the, the two keepers only had one save to make between them the whole match, despite the the onslaught from the midfield that Palace, Palace put us under. So I think that was, that's testament to the, the job that he and the other defenders did. I think he was, he was in front of everything they, they put forward. He was, he was blocking balls all over the place. He was winning, winning headers in the right places. He was, it, their, their attackers really didn't have the space they needed. That was that was because of him. My only complaint, I've I've not noticed what Bromer said earlier about him and him and Ben Mee getting getting mixed up in a couple of occasions. But I've not particularly 
uh, looked out for that. I'm sure when I now you've said that, Bromers, I'll, I'll I'll notice that all the time in the next match. Um, yes, but I'm not. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm just saying that's not something I've I've seen. But my only my only con concern about him is that it's, if this is a weird thing to say because you want players to be really confident, I think he needs to be a little bit less confident on the ball. There were a few occasions at the weekend where he dallied on the ball a little bit too much, particularly that occasion you talk about James there. And I think there's a, there's a few times, yeah, where he's probably, he's thought he's had the space and the time and the ability to play the ball out a little bit more than he did. And that was that was a key example. So sometimes I think he just he just needs to learn when to get the ball away a little bit quicker. Having said that, there was, there was a couple of occasions also where we did benefit from him being quite good on the ball. I can, I can think of one particular example in the, I think that's also in the first half, maybe later on in the first half, when the ball is getting um, getting caught up between him and one of the attackers. And he actually, it's one of those things, It's it goes quite unseen, but he really, he, he almost dribbled the ball around the defender in a really, a really strange way. But I think that's the sort of ball that Ben Mee isn't able to get away. He really was able to get it around in a quite a, a fluid way. So we are benefiting from him being quite comfortable on the ball. But sometimes I think he just needs to learn when to be comfortable on the ball and when to do a Ben Mee and just get rid of it as soon as possible. Obviously, something massive to come out of Sunday's game was uh, Frank de Boer became, I believe, the first manager to lead his team to four defeats to start the season without scoring. Um, and obviously the news came later this week that he has been sacked as Crystal Palace manager um, with Roy Hodgson coming in to replace him. Um, I've now How read inspiring. things that say that... I know, indeed. Uh, I've, I've now read things that say that doubts were already setting in before the first game of the season with De Boer. Um, it was something that the, the chairman had pushed for um, with the owners both wanting to go for Roy Hodgson. Um they brought him in thinking they could change the style, looking at teams like Swansea who've maybe had a different style while they've been in the Premier League. Um, but ultimately, it looked like it wasn't working out and fears have been confirmed as the season started. However, I think he was very unlucky because on Sunday, he um, he finally accepted that he had to play four at the back. That's what was going to suit his players. Um, and it looked to be working for them. I mean... I don't know about you two, but I, I feel it's maybe a little bit early to be sacking managers. Terrible. And maybe you should have been given a few more games. Absolutely. I thought awful. it was an awful decision. Awful, I awful, think, awful. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think, like I say, I think it, it did come from the top, but they wanted this uh, a fundamental change. And you've got to remember, these players, these Crystal Palace players have been built around, the, the squad has been built for a very different system. And I don't think you can expect players of, of that type to adapt to a, a completely new system very instantly. Okay, it's not a great start by any means. It's been an absolutely horrendous start. And I'm not excusing excusing the start they've had, but you've got to give someone, you've got to give at least six months if you're going to make such a fund, fundamental change to the to the way the team's playing. I thought, like you like you said, I think I, I expected his their performance at the weekend to to give, at least give him a little bit more time. I thought... They played. They played very well. I think he adapted his style, like you said, which is something he'd been criticised for previously. Um, <laughs> without some awful finishing from from Scott Dan, they could have got a result of some kind in the end. And for, and for me as well, I think they showed. We talked earlier about Burnley's spirit being fantastic throughout the match. I think Crystal Palace showed a very good spirit to come back from a very 
they're responding to an awful start to the season. They had an awful start to the match. In that first 10 minutes, they looked so out of sorts. It would have been easy for them to crumble. But I think they responded really, really well. And for me, it, 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 they looked really, really hungry. They looked like they really, really wanted it, which shows that they were they were behind the manager. It certainly suggests they were behind the manager. I think when you've got a team, okay, they're not doing well, but if you're not playing well, what you really want is the team to be hungry and really trying to get that 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 better result. Often, when you see when managers are coming towards the end of their tenure at a club, it's a, again it's another cliche about losing the dressing room. But you see that the players aren't aren't putting as much effort in and they're not they don't look quite as hungry they look a little bit more fatigued whereas over the weekend their players looked really hungry they really wanted it so for me I was yeah I was surprised that that given De Boer's flexibility at the weekend and the way that they played and the spirit they played in I thought he'd got more time and even 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 without that you, you shouldn't be needing more time after four games it's I think I'm, I'm not sure if this is correct, but I, I read somewhere that after five games uh, last season, Allardyce only had one point after five games last season. So, Al, and obviously he did so well after that; he had a fantastic end to the season. So, the, the start to their range in terms of results, De Boer and Allardyce isn't that much different. So, you'd you'd probably you'd think from that that they'd learn to give the manager a little bit more time, but they didn't. And I'm just happy that they don't seem to be coming in for for Sean Dyche. I mean, ultimately, obviously, it's a, a results business, is football, especially these days. Um, and I feel if they decided they'd made a made a mistake early on, probably the the best thing for everyone involved was to to end it before it got out of hand. And obviously, it's not the first time, unfortunately, Frank de Boer has been uh, let go of quite early. I think it was eighty four or eighty five days he spent at Inter Milan uh, last year. So two jobs in a row. I think it might be a little while before he's back in uh, back in work. So looking forward, next game, uh, Liverpool away. Massive, massive game. Um, obviously a place where you probably go and don't really expect a lot. But so far this season, we've been away to Chelsea, we've been away to Spurs and we've we've come away with something. Bromers, do you think we can keep it going and have a, another good result away to one of the big sides in the league? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I keep changing my mind about this. I, I kind of feel like we've been lucky well, fortunate, I think, more than lucky in the early stages of the season in that we have seemed to have played teams at really good times. We've played Chelsea when they were all over the place, Spurs when they hadn't yet settled into Wembley, and obviously Palace when they were just about to sack their manager. Um, And as such, we've been able to take advantage of those situations. And actually, that's something that we've not maybe done in the past, and it's it's encouraging to see that we're now doing it. so you would look at it and you think, well, Liverpool have just come on the back of a very heavy defeat and absolute annihilation against City. And now is a really good time to play them because also they haven't yet quite found the feet this season. But then on the other hand, a really good home win against Burnley is probably a very good tonic for them after a humiliating defeat um, against City. So I'm a little bit unsure. To be honest, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried this season anymore about our away form. We've already proved now that that's gone. That was a, a weird anomaly of last season. It's not been carried into this season, and we've got four points away from home so far this season. There's absolutely nothing to fear for this team. There is no reason at all why we can't go and try and get a result. Um, Nick Pope's gonna gonna come in. He's gonna have had um, a week in 
to really settle into reality that he's going to be playing for a couple of months. It was interesting, actually, just very quickly picking back up on something that Kevin said when we were talking about Nick Pope earlier on, and he was talking about how Nick Pope wasn't as vocal as Tom and maybe wasn't as confident. I suspect a lot of that will be down to the fact that no matter how much you can try and tell yourself, you can be mentally prepared to come on at any time. You're not telling me that every single goalkeeper, especially one who's covering for Tom Heaton, genuinely believes he's going to be playing that day. So when he came on, he genuinely 100% did not expect to be playing that game. So he just wasn't there. He's going to have had this week now where his focus is going to have been from the manager. His focus is going to be there from the coaching staff, the goalkeeping staff, and he is going to be... um, upgraded to first choice keeper and everybody's going to know that he's going to be playing so he will be much more mentally prepared and he's got nothing to lose he can go out there try and organize his defense and just play with confidence um hopefully i'm hearing reports that hendrick probably will be back by this weekend so we can go again yeah fingers crossed uh four five one hopefully back with just pope being the only change and they can play with the confidence they've got four points away from home this season so Liverpool are there for the taking why not you know they say sometimes about these big games just got to go out and enjoy it and hopefully that's what we do and play with a bit of freedom um, I mean Liverpool though they did have a, a, a very heavy defeat at the weekend uh, do you think it's possible they're going to be you know looking for blood and they're going to come out all guns blazing Kev yeah I, 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 I expect you've got you've got to expect that but I'd say that like I said earlier, bit earlier I think Crystal Palace were very hungry at the weekend I think as the game got on, they got more and more hungry for for the, for a goal and, and a result, and I think we we dealt with that very well. Obviously, it's a very different proposition playing Crystal a hungry Crystal Palace at Turf Moor to playing a, a hungry Liverpool at Anfield, but it certainly can give us confidence. And you never you never really know what you're going to get with with Liverpool. They're almost as I was going to say almost as unpredictable as Arsenal, but actually Arsenal are just predictable at being weak and pathetic now. So they're probably the most unpredictable team in the league. In the, on their day, they can be absolutely outstanding. On their day, they can look like Premier League champions, but also on their day, they can look like a lower league kind of West Ham type of team. So it's it's really difficult to know what what's what sort of Liverpool will will come up against. Hopefully, it is one that isn't quite at the races, and we can make an embarrassing we can make it two embarrassing results in a row for them. Yeah, no, I think that's a key point. Uh... You, you can almost uh, take advantage of the desire to, to put it right. Bromers, what about you? Do you, do you think it's an opportunity to take advantage of them being a, a bit gung-ho? Yeah, I think, as I was saying in, in the earlier comments when we, we looked at the, the run-up to, to Saturday, I'm, it could go either way for me. I, I don't have anything other to add other than what I've already said, to be honest. Um, wouldn't surprise me if we get absolutely battered. Wouldn't surprise me if we get something from the game. Um, at the end of the day, I think that... We, well, I think, I think the psyche should have changed by now in the side, in that we're not here anymore just to make up numbers, and we're not just a, a relegation threat inside who are going to be battling at the bottom and just don't expect anything from an away trip to Liverpool. This is a side now that should expect something from Liverpool because we can on on our day beat anybody. We beat Liverpool at Turf last season. We beat some really big teams at Turf last season, and I know it's a little bit different away from home. But that shouldn't that shouldn't change the psychological preparation for these players. They should be going there thinking that they can match these players, that they've got every right to be in this league and that we can go away and get something from this game. I think that's a very fair point. You've already touched on this next one a little bit earlier, Bromers. 
What do you think, Dash? Does he stick with four four two? His old no. favourite that we, we saw this weekend, or as I think you've just said, back to four five one then? Yeah, yeah I, I share your uh, your views of this, but I think I just think that the four five one that we saw in the first three games of the season was just so effective. Um, assuming that Hendrick's back, I think it's an absolute no brainer. If Hendrick isn't back, I would still go for it, but I think I would do exactly what. Um, Dyche did its weight spurs and put Arfield in that role. Um, it just gives him a little bit more freedom and he, he's got a little bit less responsibility in that role And um, when he's got a five-man midfield and he can just be a bit more creative and he doesn't have the pressure on him to really fight for every ball and really block out some important passes. So I certainly don't mind Arfield being in a, in a five-man midfield, but um, I'll be, I think if we go 4-4-2, showing how ineffective that was on Saturday against a good Palace side, I think uh, Liverpool will absolutely tear us to pieces. So I'd be, uh, I'd be surprised and a little disappointed if we go back to that. You've doubled up there and covered both of the last two oh, questions in one go. Damn, so sorry. I'll, throw, I'll throw both <laughs> straight over to Kev then as well. Kev, back to four five one, and any changes to the side? Exactly the same as what Natalie said. Four five one, either Scott Arfield or Jeff Hendrick. Hopefully the latter in for probably Sam Vokes. Probably, uh, I think Sam Vokes had a fantastic end to last season. He had a fantastic first game of this season. He's not quite hit the same height since, and obviously Chris Wood's got two and two now, so he, he deserves his his chance from the start. So that that be my that be for me. It'd be the same. The same setup as, as we've used in the, the first few games of the season with with Chris Chris Wood up top and obviously uh, Nick Pope in goal. Personally, yeah, I'd I'd do much the same. Back to four five one for me. Um, Sam Vokes, unfortunately, miss out. If I was picking the side, um, you know, I think he's he's had a reasonable start to the season, but obviously Chris Wood's in really good form. I think the option it does give you though, if you you drop Vokes to the bench, is that you can always bring him on for for Wood and just change it up a little bit. Two similar-ish players, but still with some different skill sets. So um gives you the opportunity to maybe change the game if it's not working with Wood up front. And hopefully for me, it'd be Hendrick coming back. But Arfield was pretty decent at Wembley, so um, maybe not the worst thing to have in that position. Maybe it is a position that can still suit him in the Premier League. Um, thanks for joining us uh, in this week's podcast. Uh, biggest thanks obviously to you the listeners um, if you didn't listen we won't be able to make the podcast so thanks again for, for tuning in and thanks for subscribing thanks to Kevin and Natalie for joining me and speaking about the game at the weekend thanks for Adam our producer who uh, you never hear but he's always working in the background I've been James Bird this has been the No Never Podcast thank you very much we'll see you next week Robert Snodgrass with a late free kick that cancelled out a quite brilliant goal by Stephen DeFore. It was one of those games that was always going to take either a mistake or a moment of brilliance to break the deadlock and as it turned out it was an absolutely sublime strike. I mean, I'm still purring over that touch and that turn that he brought in midfield to create all that space. And then the strike as well. I think for the first sort of 30 seconds of jumping up and down and cheering in the ground I was just like what was that like oh my god what have we just seen in Turf Moor with somebody in a Burnley shirt so yeah it was it was incredible Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.